Hey, this is Graham, and I am so pumped you're joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media, at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online community at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can engage and connect with other Grace members all around the world. So, we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. Hey, we are very excited and privileged to have with us a very special guest this morning. Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North uh, is an amazing person with amazing stories. Uh, he is a Vietnam veteran. Uh, 22 years in the Marines, won the Silver Star, two Purple Hearts, serving in the military. A lot of you may know him as a political commentator. Uh, some of you ha may see it, have seen the iconic picture of Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. And uh, Ronald Reagan referred to him as a true American hero. He is a best-selling author. Uh, most importantly, he and his wife, Betsy, have been married more than 50 years. Would you give a great Greenwood Grace welcome to Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North? God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, Pastor Wayne. He gives a great introduction. I, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you because, uh, well, first of all, how many of you were there last night at Craig Park? To, that's impressive. What we're there to do is honor uh, heroes, uh, first responders, law enforcement officers, people who've served in the armed forces, and they really are heroes because the far left in our country, in our entertainment business particularly, refers to heroes as things like a guy caught the pass in the end zone or the guy who's batted a home run and brought in three runs or superheroes are by definition in Hollywood, people who wear spandex suits, capes, masks, and their underwear outside their pants. <laughs> and so it, when we talk about heroes, the, the definition has kind of gotten fuzzy for folks, particularly young people. So here's the, the classical definition of a hero is a person who puts themselves at risk for the benefit of others. And that certainly defines those folks I just described to you. And not only them, but can I see a show of hands for anyone here who has served as a law officer, as a first responder, as in the armed forces now or has been in the past? Now, hold your hands up. Now your family members of those who've been or are members of the armed forces, first responders, and the kinds of people who put their lives at risk putting on a vest every day. Ladies and gentlemen, those are American heroes right there. They really are. You know, uh, the pastor's been very kind and gracious to me since I've been here, but I've been blessed. Uh, my very first hero was my dad. My dad and mom met at a USO dance in 1941. They got married in 1942. And in 1943, I was born in San Antonio, Texas. And, uh, and the reason my dad was already gone is because the 95th Infantry Division became part of Patton's Third Army in the fight to liberate Europe from the Nazis. And so I didn't even meet my dad until many months after I'd been born. 
I got all of that confirmed. I mean, I've been told that in the family folklore. That's my dad. My dad went to war as a second lieutenant, came out as a lieutenant colonel. It took me 20 years to make lieutenant colonel. <laughs> my mom used to criticize my brothers and me, and she'd say, how long have you been a captain, Jack? That's my army brother. A lieutenant, Tim, in the Navy, and, and Oliver North in the Marines. Well, it turned out it was about five years for all of us. And she said, what is wrong with you boys? Your father was a captain for five weeks. I said, Mom, it was World War II, for crying out loud. Well, you boys have all been in combat. What's wrong with you? Tough mom. My, I never heard my mother say the words, just wait till your father gets home. We were glad when Dad came home. Yeah. So he's the first hero I ever met. I had that confirmed a few months back because I was asked by Fox to go back and interview a guy who I had covered during the war in Iraq. A true American hero, U.S. Army colonel at the time. He's being promoted to Brigadier General at a place called Fort Indian Town Gap in Pennsylvania. So we went up there to cover the story. And afterwards, I was invited up to the officers' club for the, you know, a little reception afterwards. And an old guy on a walker, and I'm old enough to know an old guy, <laughs> comes over to me and he says, Sonny, I just want you to know I know you were born in October of 43 in San Antonio. I said, how do you know that, sir? He said, I delivered you. I said, really? He said, I'll tell you something else you don't know, Sonny. You were sired, that's the word he used, sired right here at Indian Town Gap. I said, well, how do you know that, sir? He said, well, all the officers, young, young officers were in those Quonset huts down there. I was the only OBGYN in the 95th Infantry Division. And so I was left behind to deliver all the babies that were made right down there. I said, well, how do you know that, sir? He says, very simple. The division came here to Fort Indian Town Gap in January from Fort Niagara. And we left here in October. Excuse me. We left here, came here in January, left here in April. Do the math, son. Do the math. All those babies that came out of those Quonset huts. I, I was blessed to be able to grow up in the military. I literally went from being the son of an, being an army brat, as we call it, to being an enlisted Marine, 29th of December, 1961. That's older than most of you people. I, I can just look out and see that, particularly you women. Some of you guys are pretty advanced. <laughs> I, I, I've kind of developed over the course of my growing up and the time that I've spent in the service and the time I've spent covering in combat these American heroes. I, I want to just run through a couple of the characteristics that whether you're law enforcement, first responders, veterans, if you don't have these qualities, you will probably not succeed. Okay? And I was blessed to see them around me. Number one, situational awareness. What is it? Situational awareness is being aware of what's going on around you and having a plan to deal with it. I cannot walk into a room or a restaurant or a movie theater without looking for signs that say, exit. Just if something goes wrong. When I'm driving on a highway, a two-lane highway, I'm always thinking a little bit as I see something coming toward me at 188 feet per second. That's the closure rate when you're doing 60 miles an hour. Is that guy you know, smoked out of his mind because we now legalized marijuana in, in Virginia? I'm, and if so, where am I going to go? I'm going to go off to that. Nope, there's a guardrail there. I'll go the other way. Just that kind of thing. So that's situational awareness. And the best people I've known in the military and in law enforcement and first responders are the kinds of people who have that in spades. It's also a, a gift 
And it's a gift most evident in its absence, and I'll give you an example. The la one of the, not the last time, but one of the most recent times coming through Indianapolis, our flight was deleted, deleted, should have been deleted. It was delayed from San Diego to Chicago. It's the red eye. And I was supposed to get off in Chicago. I was going to meet with, uh, this is when I was working for Fox. I was going to meet with one of my, my cameramen, and we were going to go interview some people for War Stories, a documentary. We got diverted by weather into Indianapolis. Anybody been in the, in the United Terminal at Indianapolis? Right, 11 of us. That's how many people fit in it. And we're diverted, and it's all kinds of airplanes that have been diverted. And I'm looking around for a place to charge my cell phone because I'm going to call my lovely wife and tell her, don't meet me at the airport. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be not deleted, but delayed. <laughs> and I can't because my phone is desperately, it's like 2% left in the power. So I'm looking around for a place to plug in my phone, and I see an older guy sitting there. Again, I know an older guy. I walk over to him and I say to him, sir, excuse me, can I plug my phone into that plug right behind you? And the guy looks up at me and says, yes, if I can have your autograph. <laughs> Mr. Brokaw. <laughs> five, five, I, I didn't miss the chance, to, I, I plugged in the phone. Fox gave us these little signature cards, right? And it was so, because you don't want to tear up shopping bags when you're in a supermarket. So that, and I still carry, these are for Fidelis Publishing, my publishing company that I started, but it was the same thing. So I took the card out and flipped it over and said, to whom do I make it? He said, make it out to Paul. Paul, all the best, Tom. <laughs> and I give him the card. And suddenly he tears up. He looks at me and he says, I re really appreciate this, Mr. Brokaw. I'm part of that greatest generation. He wrote about, now I feel like absolute dirt. <laughs> What's the right thing, Pastor, what is the right thing to do <laughs> at this point? I took the coward's way out. I let the phone charge for a while. We chatted a little bit about what it was like to be on ABC. I'm not. <laughs> Talked a little bit about the greatest generation. I knew that because I grew up with it. And then I noticed the phone is charged and I thanked him very much and I fled. <laughs> I got home and Betsy, my wife of now, almost 54 years. I tell her the story, still looking for moral guidance. And she said, you are such a jerk. That poor man is gonna get home, show his wife that card, and then he, what the heck is Tom Brokaw using Ollie North's Fox News cards for? I, I tell you that story because it, those, those kinds of things that have happened in my life give me guidance. I'm still looking for the right thing to do in this, that circumstance. Number two, the veterans and the first responders and the cops that I've known, and I've known a lot of them, I used to be in the armor business, know that they have to have courage and leadership and integrity to lead. Good, first, the best leaders I've ever been blessed to know lead from the front. They never ask others to do that which they cannot or will not do themselves. And they're selfless, not selfish. Fox News sent me overseas to cover and keep company with them 60 plus embeds over that 18 year period. I've asked thousands of young soldiers, sailors, airmen, guardsmen, and Marines, why did you join? And invariably they'll come to the point where they'll say something like this, what happened on 9-11 should never happen again. And they're all volunteers. The remarkable thing about it is in my lifetime, we've gone from conscripting, drafting people, 
to volunteers, an all-volunteer force starting in 1973. We've not drafted anybody since. Thank you, Richard Nixon. At that moment, everybody thought, we're in trouble because we're never going to find enough people. And the purpose of having an armed force is to deter war and win one if you have to. And you've got to have very high-quality people to do that. Will we get enough? We, we got more than enough. And thank God the Cold War, by the way, the Cold War was cold for everybody who didn't have to fight in it. But, Pastor, you said it best, just a, it was up on the screen. It was something that those of us who served in Vietnam, how many of you served in Vietnam? Did you ever hear anybody say when you got home, welcome home? Pastor said it today, welcome home. That should never happen again. Either. So I'll just show you just very quickly just some of the tens of thousands of soldiers, sailors, airmen, guardsmen, and marines that I covered in, in this long war from everywhere from Afghanistan to Iraq. I was in Afghanistan when the Iraq war started. And I got flown down there, went to Somalia, we went to the Philippines. Counterterrorism was my job at the White House, and that was my job at Fox News. And I got to know those who fight that terrorism, got to know those that they train, like these foreign fighters. Those are the kinds of people I love to keep company with. These are some of the dangerous and difficult things that they do in the very unpleasant places they have to do it in. Average age of an enlistee today is 20 and a half years of age. They have a sense of humor to call a place like that Fort Awesome. It's, it is amazing. The troops that serve us out there go up against an adversary who in many cases wants to die. They're suicidal. These guys can operate and maintain the most sophisticated equipment ever designed by the hand and mind of man. They can use their bodies like weapons. They can use their weapons like part of their bodies. They can take lives or save them because they're so remarkably well trained. The teen, everybody's a teenage, teenage boy. I used, to, I used to raise my hand. My, my wife caught me once and said, you didn't do it, I did that. They're these kinds of people. That's incredibly sophisticated equipment. They became the protectors of Muslim women and children in a place where that's a foreign language. And they do things in a way that is so remarkable, it takes you back eons to see some of them doing it. The armored vehicles are great. In this case, it's a captain, a United States Marine Corps special operator, terribly wounded, lost both legs. He was on his third combat tour with no legs. Those are the, okay, here's, here's one of God's great inventions. It's IED, Improvised Explosive Device Protection. That dog, Dexter, is a bomb detective dog. Thank you, Lord, for making Dexter. I got to follow Smitty, that's his handler, and Dexter off helicopters, out of armored vehicles, a dozen times at least, always while you're being shot at, always. Get, and this is combat baseball. It's a rock and a bamboo stick. Improvise, adapt and overcome. You're gonna see De Dexter and, and uh, Smitty here again in a minute. I, that, that dog truly is, if you follow in his footprints, you will not step on an IED, and I followed him all over the place. So, they've encountered situational awareness, they've got courage, tenacity, competence, selfless leadership, integrity. Let me just talk about two other things. Number one, faith, okay. You're about to see on the screen a picture of what is occurring as I'm walking up with Smitty and Dexter to get aboard the helicopters you see in the background. It's the biggest helicopter assault in Afghanistan. And these guys have just realized Dexter is coming with us. Of the thousands of Marines and soldiers who went into combat that, there was only one IED detector bomb dog, and it was Dexter. And I got to go with him. And I was stunned when I walked up to the group. These are the guys who are the helicopter team leaders. 
So in there is a second lieutenant, a staff sergeant, three sergeants, and a couple of corporals. All of them on multiple tours. This is not the first tour for any of these guys. And they realize Dexter is going with us. No high fives, no, no chest thumping. The Lance Corporal says, guys, Dexter and Smitty are going with us. Not the rest of these guys. We're going to follow Dexter and Smitty off the bird. Let's say a prayer for them. And you see these guys kneel down. The, the leadership isn't coming from the lieutenant or the staff sergeant. It's coming from a Lance Corporal. I was proud to make Lance Corporal as a Marine Reservist. I was remarkable to see this kind of faith. I couldn't do that when I was AJ. I did not know my Lord and Savior then, meaning I did not know where I was going and why I was going there like I do today. That young Lance Corporal knew, and that's what they're doing. They're praying for safety for Dexter and Smitty because they're going to be the first two, two living things off that helicopter. And I was the next one, following very carefully in the footpats of a golden, of a golden Labrador retriever. Now, I, I tell you that story because that's the kind of experience that leads others to know the Lord. I can assure you, not everybody in that prayer circle knew who Jesus Christ was like I do, or like that Lance Corporal did. You know, th those are the kinds of people that we want as neighbors. Those are the kind of people you want who can express themselves in ways like that. I dare the ACLU to tell that group of government employees to stop praying on government time. <laughs> One last slide. The United States Navy corpsmen are loved by their Marines. They're the corpsmen, they're medical corpsmen. This scene was shot in, in the early days of March. Excuse me, it was shot on April 6th. Okay, in early March, we went across the line of departure from Kuwait. I was embedded with the 5th Marine Regiment. I finally got to all months later. And what happens here, they've been ambushed by a Republican Guards Regiment. This is a rifle company. They spin the vehicles around the road because they're not armored Humvees. The 5th Marine Regiment had maybe 20 out of 500 armored Humvees. 20 were armored. These aren't. And they spun them around the road because Baghdad is a smoke you see in the background to give them a little more offset from the RPGs. And there's a furious gun battle going on. You can see the guys crouched over their 50 caliber machine guns firing back at the enemy. I'm on the ramp of a helicopter, which has just carried out several other, it's come back from carrying out several other wounded guys. And a Reuters news crew is now set up on the left of the screen as you see it. And they're tracking this guy coming back and forth carrying wounded guys on his back. And finally he shouts out, because they've had to shut our bird down because bullet holes in the engines. And so they've shut the bird down, but the corpsman's still carrying him. And you can hear the Reuters news crew, hey, mate, what did you do that for? Didn't you notice that was an Iraqi? If you look at it carefully, the wounded guy on his back is a Republican guardsman. Those are American battle dressings. That corpsman has already put on him. What did you do that for? means, you stupid American. And the, I have to put it this way, Pastor. The corpsman gives them a gesture. I mean, these guys can take vulgarity to the level of an art form, trust me. But they also know their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, are unashamed to be seen praying for him. And he flips in the bird, as we might say, and he shouts back, didn't you notice he was wounded? That's what we do, we're Americans. What a wonderful testament. You know, last night I, I spoke about the Declaration of Independence and the importance of it to what we are as a people. Tonight, just, just for a few minutes, 
I want to talk to you about the next major instrument of our government. And like the Declaration of Independence, it becomes a companion to what was done in 1776. Here it is, 1787, and we now have a constitution. They are the only two documents in the entire planet Earth that have ever paid homage to God Almighty in the drafting and the publication of those documents. No other country on Earth talks about respect for God and God's decisions and the salvation offered them. No other has prayers in them, and they all do. So. When an American in uniform says, I've got your back, it's because he understands the importance of the oath he took. Here's the oath that every government official takes in some form or another, every policeman, every Marine, soldier, sailor, and guardsman. Here's what it is. Listen. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. To support and defend. To support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies born and domestic. I will bear true faith. And allegiance to the state. And allegiance to the state. I will obey all orders. Of the President of the United States. Of the President of the United States. And all orders. And all orders. Of the officers appointed over me. Of the officers appointed over me. In accordance with. In accordance with. Regulations. Regulations. And the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. So help me God. In the last three words, so help me God. There's people in Washington who now want to have that deleted from that oath of office. I hope we'll stop them from doing that. What you just saw are people who, who thinking, these are brand new Marines. They've just finished boot camp. It's what they call the crucible. And I went down to cover some of that. So I just, and I couldn't resist. When these guys are doing that, they understand that ours is the only constitution that recognizes God as grantor of blessings of liberty. It's the only constitution with a bill of rights protecting every American from the awesome power of government. It's the only foundation document giving every law-abiding citizen the right to pray or not to pray, to come and go as they want, to speak as they please, and among other freedoms, the right to keep and bear arms, which was affirmed again by the Supreme Court last week. Ours is the only country on the planet where every law officer, every member of the armed forces, every elected official takes an oath very much the same as that. All of that is in a constitution that's not written, or that pledge is not to a pantheon, a god, a prince, or a political party. It's an oath that ends with the word, so help me God. I've raised my hand and taken it more times than I can count and administered it hundreds of times. It was an infantry officer who had taken that oath who led me to know my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he was unafraid of the consequences of, of doing so. I encourage you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you turn to somebody this week and you tell them about your Lord and Savior. Because if John Grinnells, then a lieutenant colonel, and who was, by the way, at the top of his class at West Point, I went to the Naval Academy, he went to West Point at the top of his, I was not at the top of my class. I'm not a Rhodes Scholar, he was. He had an MBA from Harvard, was a White House fellow, and everybody knew he's one of the smartest people on the planet Earth, not just the Marine Corps. And he asked me to become his operations officer, and I said yes because I knew he was gonna be a general, and I wanted to be one too. So for all the wrong reasons, I said yes. And I don't believe in coincidence, I don't believe in luck. I believe the good Lord has a plan. Sometimes we see it as opportunities, and sometimes we see it as opposition. 
But the good Lord puts those things in front of us all the time. And thankfully, I said yes for all the wrong reasons. We were getting ready to deploy, and I had fallen and re-injured myself, an old back injury. I could not feel anything below my hips. I lost control of my bladder. Sergeant Major Johnson is yelling out, Corman up! Get the corpsman in here. The major's hurt. The next person underneath that flap with that camouflage net was Lieutenant Colonel John Grinnells, and he ignores the sergeant major and all the communicators that were licking, writhing on the ground, no feeling at all below my hips. Lost control of my bladder. John Grinnells puts his hands on me, and he says, Dear Lord Jesus, you are the great physician. Heal this man. Just like in Acts, Acts 2, there's this moment where, where Peter, Jesus has said, You can heal. Peter goes out and tries it for the first time. He walks up to the man on the street who's got a, he's been a beggar all his life. He's been paralyzed from his waist down. He could never walk. He didn't ever walk. And Peter walks up to him and says, in the name of Jesus, walk. He must have been a Marine. <laughs> didn't say please, he just did it. And the guy jumps up, which he could never do before. I jumped up, which I could not have done seconds before. And John Grinnells looks at me in the eye and says, I said the stupidest thing I could. I said, thank you, sir. And he grabs me with a flak jacket and pulls me up real close. He says, don't thank me. Thank your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You had better come to know him. In the regulations of the Armed Forces of the United States, a sergeant can tell that to the colonel or a lieutenant can tell it to a major, but you can't go from top down. It's called Ill illegal proselytizing. And John Grinnells was, gave me a copy. It's not the copy he gave me. The copy he gave me is in tattered pieces beside my bed. It's the only book, I've written a bunch of books. It's the only book I've ever read from cover to cover more than once. And I got on the way across the Atlantic Ocean, I, I started out at Genesis wondering who he was and almost quit at Leviticus. <laughs> I see you guys have done it too, right? Yeah. Almost quit at Leviticus. But I, I pressed on and I finally get to the very first of the Gospels, Matthew. And in Matthew's Gospel, there's a description of a, of a Roman army infantry officer. I get that. A centurion is the commander of the Roman, department, Roman military force in that part of Israel. It's on the Sea of Galilee. He's the senior occupation authority. Most people hate him. But he's been listening carefully to Jesus and he's been told to spy on and report on what Jesus does and who meets with him. And instead of being concerned about that, which by the way is a crime because if you associate with a traitor, which is Jesus' ultimate crime for which he is executed, why? What's the crime? Anybody remember? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. There's only one king for the Jews or anybody, Caesar. You proclaim otherwise, that's treason. That's why they executed. That was the, the grounds for that terrible, terrible torture to death. And so this Roman army officer, a captain, commands a hundred Roman soldiers. I'd been a captain once. He comes up to Jesus Christ who's teaching it. At Capernaum, they've unearthed what was then the synagogue, probably where Jesus was sitting outside talking to young people from the town. Most of the, his followers were young people. And he's talking to them about getting to know where they want to go and how to get there. And the Roman army officer says to Jesus, I've got a sick servant at home. Would you heal him? And Jesus says, actually, I think he probably asked, can you heal him? A question that's also in Mark's gospel when there's a cripple, or a person who's possessed, 
His father asks, can you, say, can, you, can you heal him? And in Mark's gospel, it's the same answer. He says, can I heal him? Have you been watching what's going on here? It's basically what Jesus is saying. Yeah. If you believe, and the father's answer is, he describes that the son had tried to kill himself, he tried to throw himself into the fire, drown himself, totally possessed. Can you heal him? Can I heal him? You've, you've seen what I'm doing. If you believe, and the father answers this way, I believe, can you help me in my unbelief? Friends, that's where I am. That's where a lot of us are. My wife is deathly ill. No one has ever survived the malady that she has. But I still believe in miracles. You that wonderful song that we sang here about that. And so I still believe in miracles. I, I don't know if Jesus is going to do for me what he then does for the centurion servant. He says, yeah, I'll go with you. And he says, no, no, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come into my house. I'm also there. All you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm a person of authority. I can tell someone to come and they come. I can tell another to go and they go. I know what authority is. You have authority. You can heal my servant. Jesus has got to smile at that point and say, I get it. Yeah, go ahead on home. Your servant's healed. John Grinnells had taken his career at risk. The centurion has just risked his own life for being charged right along with Jesus because the secret police of the day are out watching. Who is Jesus meeting with? What are they saying? Josephus, who's the chronicle of all of this. We had to read that when I was at the Naval Academy. Josephus talks, writes about all of that stuff that's happening with Jesus. And I, I tell you that story now because there's not a person here who knows Jesus Christ who can't reach out to someone else like John Grinnell's reached out to me. And it's a darn good thing he did because that was 1978 when I read this for the first time. By 1981, I was at the White House. And that's a pretty high-stress outfit. Uh, well, don't screw this one up, Ollie. I got, to, I, got, I, I got to work for, in my humble opinion, the greatest president of my lifetime. And because he was the kind of person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, how many times did you use the word follower today? Pastor, he's a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, have the courage, the integrity, to stand up to some neighbor, or some friend, a fellow worker, at the office, wherever, and say, here's why I believe and where I'm going. I, I got asked the question yesterday at the airport. What's your favorite Bible verse? I said, well, today it's Romans 10, 9. If you confess through the lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's not just for you and me. That's for all of us. That was, by the way, standing at the Chick-fil-A line. It was the longest in the airport. <laughs> I'm pretty sure when you're talking there, you're talking to a fellow believer. It's got to be. No one else likes chicken that much. <laughs> I, I tell you that story because I knew by the time I was invited to chat with members of Congress on TV, well, I wasn't invited, I was subpoenaed. But <laughs> by the time that happens, I know where I'm going. I know why I'm going there, okay? I know for the very reason I just said in Romans 10, 9, if not all the rest of it. Bible studies that we started, all the, the others who came and our children we have 18 grandchildren. I want those 18 grandchildren to know how to fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the 
That might have been in Paul's last letter. I would never have known this, but for reading this book from cover to cover so many times, I beg you, you must know someone who does not know Jesus Christ that way. If you do, have the courage to just stand up and say, this is important. The very first day of those hearings, as we're coming through the big oak doors, a woman steps out of nowhere. My family had 37 federal agents who protected them for the better part of two years, nonstop. The federal government installed a security system much more expensive than the one I was accused of taking illegally. Because <laughs> they didn't want me dying on their watch, right? And so as we're coming through the doors, the very first day of those nine days of hearings in July, it was, by the way, today's date is when I got the invitation, the subpoena, today's date in 1987. Lady reaches through the throng of police officers and security guys and puts the card in my hand. And Brenton takes it away from me, puts it in his pocket, and says, Just read the stuff that's in the book. Don't be reading stuff other people give you. And we sat down at the table. And a reporter, two or three days into it, said to him, What's on the card? And Sullivan went like this. He'd grab it off the microphone stand where it would sit while I was testifying. And he'd put it in his pocket. And one of the reporters said to him, What's on the card? Sullivan goes like this without showing him, puts it back in his pocket. He says, the answers. <laughs> well, I, I've spoken to you about the power of prayer. I've spoken to you about the awesome power of knowing Jesus is your Lord and Savior, the absolute certainty of where you will go, and my begging you to go take that message to someone who doesn't know Jesus like you do. That is of crucial importance. That's what I try to do with our 18 grandkids who span from college graduate all the way down to diapers. I've gotten pretty good at diapers. You know? and, and I've gotten pretty good at being a caregiver for my wife. I don't know what's gonna happen with Betsy. I do know that no matter what, it's still death to us part. Someone mentioned to me in the book signing line earlier this afternoon, earlier this morning, about how the husband had died a day after his wife died, and he was making it in memory of. And I don't know if it was his parents or not, but it was someone he knew. I don't know if that's gonna happen. I don't know what's gonna happen. I do know miracles do happen. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He turned water into wine. He healed the, 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 the kid who'd been possessed. And so, by the way, did what, what transpired that day in front of the temple when Peter goes out and works the first time he worked a miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you that way. Keep your, again, thoughts and prayers for those who are first responders. I, I guess I do owe you something. This is the card that that woman put in my hand that day, the very first day of the hearings. Remember Brendan's answer? The question the reporter asked is, what's on the card? Here's what's on the card. He said it was the answers. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. People have asked me, you didn't break a sweat. And I joke around a little. I said, well, they were, they were shooting blanks. I've, I've been hit by real bullets. They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. I used to set a record routinely in the physical fitness test. Can't do that anymore. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not feel faint. Isaiah 40, 31. Friends, those are the answers. God bless you and thank you for having me here today. <laughs> 
you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it and share it online or jump on the website at graceassembly.org and click the giving link so that we can continue to spread the message of Jesus all around the world. Have a blessed day and we'll see you next week.